Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 316. There's probably no greater way to screw up a good hobby than to try to earn a living from it. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. 2015 marks Covercraft's 50th anniversary. They've manufactured premium quality exterior and interior covers here in the United States with a reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit with over 80,000 patterns and growing. You can choose from dozens of fabric options and accessories, all designed and carefully sewn for your special vehicle. Made in the USA, Covercraft is the right choice. I've protected my special rides with their covers for over 40 years, and you should too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited today to introduce a very special guest, Casey Annis. Casey, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Great to have you here. Casey Annis is the publisher and editor of Parabolica Publishing, where they produce Vintage Race Car, Vintage Road Car Magazine, the Peterson Museum Finish Line and Peterson Quarterly, Alpha Owner, and the Oily Rag Magazines. He founded Parabolica Publishing in 1997 after a career in biology, anatomy, and neurobiology. Along with his passion for automobiles, Casey is a long-distance open-ocean paddleboard racer who's competed in the 32-mile Catalina to Manhattan Beach Race and the 32-mile Molokai to Oahu Race. That's very cool. Casey, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little bit more about your business and your passion for automobiles? Well, you know, I've been, uh, I guess, uh, from the very beginning, the first thing that I could become passionate about was cars, uh, even at the very youngest age. So uh, cars have always been, you know, a major part of my life in some fashion or another, uh, you know, for the last 49 years now. And, uh, you know, I had sort of a brief detour uh, going through college and graduate school, uh, you know, went down the uh, the medicine route and, uh, you know, got a bachelor's degree in biology and then a Ph.D. in neurobiology and uh, worked in a cancer research center for four or five years after I got my Ph.D. But, uh, you know, the cars are hard to get out of your system, and eventually it just kind of pulled me back that direction that, Changes in the in the field were such that it was hard to you know get funding for a lot of the research that we were doing, and I kind of felt I was at a crossroads in my career where if I didn't make a change, I was probably going to get stuck in you know what was looking to be a very difficult and, and limited position in research science, and so I really just kind of got the wild hair one day that you know what I'm going to quit my job and clear out the back bedroom of my house and start a car magazine, and so that's <laughs> been you know 18 years ago now, and. Uh, Somehow, with uh, bailing wire and chewing gum, we've been able to keep it together for you know almost 20 years now. Wow. Well, you know, this is why I wanted to have you on Cars Yeah, because I've read your magazine for years. I love what you're doing. I'm a avid car buff, of course. I used to race vintage cars. So what's really cool here is you fit the profile of the Cars Yeah guest perfectly, and that is a person who loves cars and figured out how to wrap that into their vocation. And to have a start 
in the sciences like you did and make this huge leap is really, really interesting. Plus, we'll talk a little bit more maybe about that as we move along, but also I'd love to hear a little bit more about this paddleboard racing because I used to be a surfer. I love the ocean. Tell me a little bit about that before we get into the questions. Well, I think, you know, you know clearly everything in my life revolves around masochism. I mean, to be a publisher, <laughs> you've got to be a masochist. And the paddleboarding is really just the logical extension of being a masochist. Uh, you know, basically, it's sort of a modified racing surfboard, if you will. And so these races are basically open ocean, long-distance races, usually from island to island or from island to mainland. Uh, they're about 32 miles. Uh, you basically have nothing but your hands and the board, um, and you alternate between you know, paddling sort of swimming-style prone or on your knees, you know, basically lunging with your upper body. And you do that for six to eight hours until the race is over nonstop. Oh, my gosh. If you well, love the ocean and you love masochism, it's the perfect sport. Well, I've got to imagine it's a huge mental game, right? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. In fact, uh, usually it's uh, you know, the, the first four or five hours are just sort of the, the, the equalizing tenderizer for everybody. And it's the last hour or two that's just pretty much all mental. It's, you know, it's like any marathon. It's just it's pushing through those, those mental barriers. But it's a real nice counterbalance to sort of my work life and that you really can't think about anything else when you're out on the water when you're doing that it's it's a total focus kind of thing so it's a you know it's almost sort of an alternate life to you know my day-to-day business car life and then I've got this sort of you know ocean life on the side as well and you know the the two don't you know necessarily intersect that much so it's sort of a you know a relief from one to the other absolutely well I find it really really interesting the perseverance and tenacity that it much take must take not only the physical training of course as well, but that mental training. And remember my days as a surfer, I just loved being out floating in the water, being with the ocean, in the ocean. So there's that aspect as well, but you're working your tail off. So very, very cool. I love that. Well, as we continue on our journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Casey, take the wheel. Well, I don't know if I necessarily qualified as a success quote or not, but you did mention uh, looking for sort of a mantra or, or something like that. I mean, right. you sort of you reference the fact that you had sort of tenacity, which I think, you know, ultimately it's you know probably stubbornness or, or tenacity is kind of what's gotten me through life. But uh, <laughs> I think if there's sort of a piece of advice or, you know, success information that someone gave me early on that I've certainly taken to heart, it's the fact that there's probably no greater way to screw up a good hobby than to try to earn a living from it. So. <laughs> um, you know, aside from that, you know, all kidding aside, uh, you know, really it's just been a question of, you know, I think just, you know, sticking with what you believe in and what you're passionate about. And that's been something that's kind of carried me through, you know, everything I've done in my life. And, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, I believe that that's going to, that pays dividends if you stay true to, you know, what you think is, is you know, a quality product or a quality pursuit and you and you stick with it. Well, I've always said, at least if you're suffering through the challenging times, if you're doing what you like or you're around what you're like, it makes that suffering a little bit easier. Yeah, and and, and really that's kind of at the root of, of why I transitioned from research science to the to the, the automotive, to the publishing side of things. You know, when I got my PhD, there was a real change in the in governmental funding of, of medical research 
from the time I went into graduate school from the time I got out. And when I went into graduate school, the notion was that you got out, you did a, a two-year postdoctoral you know, research position, you got a faculty tenure-track position at a university, and that was the, you know, the balance of your career would be spent at a university. But when I got out of a Ph.D. program and started looking for work, um, at that point in time, the government was only funding 19% of all academic research grants submitted in the country. And so as a result, you know, the other, you know, 70-some to 80% of the researchers were basically beating the streets looking for money to support their science. And mm. the notion of tenure really just disappeared. And so what ended up happening was that, so I ended up working in this at the City of Hope Medical Center, which is a national cancer research center here in, in Southern California. And I worked for uh, underneath uh, the chairman of the neurology department there. And you know, all he did all day long was chase money, write research grants and chase money. And that really wasn't what I, um, what I was passionate about. I was passionate about doing the actual experimentation and the, and the research itself. And so it became obvious to me that if I continued in that career, that was going to be my future was basically I was just going to be writing research grants for other younger scientists to be basically doing the work. And, you know, the hours were atrocious. You work, you know, nonstop day and night. At the time, a starting PhD, uh, the NIH guideline for that was $19,000 a year. So I started to look at it and say, okay, if I'm going to be a financial martyr and sacrifice all my time for something, it needs to be something that I'm super passionate about, you know, that I'm willing to do that basically for nothing. Right. And at the time, I was like, you know, I have a lot of other interests besides the science, and obviously cars had been one that I've been passionate about since I was a little kid. Like, look, if I'm going to you know, be a martyr for this, I might as well be a martyr for something that I really enjoy <laughs> and would be willing to do for free. And exactly. so that, that really pushed me, you know, at that point in time to, to look to do something else. And I was just fortunate enough that circumstances were such that I could, was either naive enough or, you know, capable enough to, to be able to pull it off at that point in time. Yeah. Well, for those of us who enjoy your publications, we're glad you made that pivot in your career path. Would you share a story with me that instigated your passion for cars? I'd love for you to tell me about that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy. Well, I, there's probably a couple of times that, that sort of solidified that, but certainly the earliest was uh, back in 1975. Um, I was nine at the time, and my uh, my father took me to the inaugural Long Beach Grand Prix, which was a Formula 5000 race you know, run in the streets of Long Beach. And... Um, I think it was just really sort of a father-son lark. I mean, my dad was interested in cars and, you know, mildly interested in racing. He'd occasionally go to Riverside or, you know, some of that with friends. But he took me down to Long Beach uh, for this new race that they were going to run through the streets. And, you know, something about that just completely gripped me. I mean, like I said, it was, that was the first time, you know, in my young life where I really felt passionate about something and, you know, came home from that event and, you know, started drawing cars and reading cars and, you know, getting magazines and books and that kind of thing. And so if I was uh, ever infected with the virus, I'm sure that was the first uh, inoculation was that, you know, inaugural Long Beach Grand Prix. <laughs> There's that biology career creeping back into your conversation. But, you know, I attended that same event. It was absolutely fantastic. It was It was one of the first road races that I ever attended. And like you, I was just, whoa, this is so cool. And they're doing it on the streets, which brought a whole nother flavor to it versus going out to Riverside, where I'd been, or the drag strips there in Irvine back in Orange County when they had a drag strip there. So yeah, very cool event that was. And I think it was also a, a perhaps a proximity issue too, in that 
you know, you could get so, especially that first event, because they had no idea what they were doing when they first set up that year. Yeah. So, I mean, I can remember being so close to the track with my dad that when they came out of the turns, they were spitting up pieces of rubber in our face as yeah. they came out of the turn. And, the, you know, the cars were so loud, and it was just, you know, it was a sensory overload. And then they had a really neat thing where they had the cars go on a, a local street, Pine Avenue, and they had sort of a, you know, car display, and all the teams were there. And I... I had this really strong memory of going to the, they had the shadow cars there and Jackie Oliver was standing next to his shadow form the 5,000 car. And he picked me up and put me down inside the cockpit of the car. And I can still wow. visualize that moment because literally I was so small. I was, you know, at the steering wheel height with my eyes. I was like down inside this, you know, inside the car, as opposed to not being able to see out of it, sitting inside this real race car that I'd just seen, you know, blasting around the, the streets, you know, not that long before. Um, I'm sure that really set the hook, and you know, I was screwed from then on. Well, gee, he didn't do that for me, man. You were you were lucky. <laughs> I think I'm a little bit older than you, so that's probably why. <laughs> and and, and I, I've seen Jackie Oliver at, at I saw him at Goodwood a couple of years ago, and I went up to him and told him I blamed him for ruining my life. So uh, we had a <laughs> we had a long talk about that. Very cool. I love that. So, Casey, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and ask you to share with us a huge challenge or great failure that you faced along the way in your career. But the most important part of this has to do with how did you overcome that situation and what did you learn from it? Well, I think really the probably the one of the one of the largest challenges has been, you know, quitting one career and sitting down and, and trying to create something from basically whole cloth without having any experience to speak of in, in that segment. Like I said, I, I'd been working as a research scientist and literally within the span of a week or two, you know, quit, cleaned out the back bedroom of my house and said, okay, now how does one start a car magazine? Wow. Uh, you know, I'd been doing, I'd done a little bit of you know, writing here and there for the, the Vintage Auto Racing Association's club magazine uh just some race reports and things like that but obviously i did a lot of writing you know in in science uh, as part of that but literally had to sit down and you know basically teach myself how to you know how to lay out a magazine how to get it printed how to do the writing and the editing and you know finding writers and i mean it truly was a ground zero whole cloth kind of um kind of a, a program and ironically enough, I think it was my, my graduate school training in, in research science that enabled me to do that because, you know, basically that's what graduate school teaches you. It's, it's not so much teaching you a particular body of knowledge so much as it's teaching you a way to solve problems that have never been addressed before and mm-hmm. being able to figure things out, you know, on your own and, and you know, come up with a, a program or an experiment series and, and test things out. And so basically it, you know, it taught me how to think and how to sit down and, and just kind of work this stuff out on my own. So, you know, I mean, I look back at those first issues and I cringe because I think they look horrible. But, you know, for somebody who had never done anything before and for where it started, you know, you can see just kind of how it progressed uh, along over time. So, sure. you know, I think from a business standpoint, that certainly was one of my biggest challenges and probably one of my you know, greater achievements. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's a huge undertaking, especially going into a complete unknown. I've had many editors, publishers on the show on one of them that comes to mind is Keith Martin, who's been around forever, Sports Car Market Magazine. And you go all the way back and look at his beginning little flyers that he produced. That was his start. These little, you know, newsletter things. Yeah. And what he's built his empire into. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. So kudos to you for taking a huge gamble, huge risk, but sticking to it, that perseverance, tenacity that you probably pull from those paddleboard races going out there in the open ocean uh, brought you back through. But uh, wow, pretty incredible. 
let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share one of those aha career moments. It's a time, I like to say, when the headlights come on and kind of illuminated your way for a new idea or a direction that you had. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I mean, I think actually you know, probably one of the, you know, I don't know that I necessarily have had a lot of light bulb flashing moments in terms of, you know, something that was groundbreaking. But uh, certainly I think in the in the genesis of the idea for creating this magazine, there was an aha moment in that, you know, being really passionate about at the time, especially historic racing, not just classic cars, but I was real involved in, in vintage racing and, and, you know, was just completely absorbed in that world. And, you know, I was looking at a at a magazine that uh, um, you know a couple of magazines that I thought you know just didn't really satisfy you know my desire for really in depth articles and and something a, a kind of a deeper more almost a book like approach to you know the history of the cars and and the background of the cars and my aha moment at the time was wow if people will pay for you know and and religiously subscribe to a magazine like this you know wouldn't they do that for something that really was in-depth and, and high quality? And so that was really the moment where I thought, you know what, maybe there is a, an opportunity here to do something that's uh, kind of on a different level. And that's the, you know, that was really the impetus, or one of the impetuses for starting you know, the magazine in the first place. It was awesome. really my own desire to have you know, sort of a more in-depth, you know, something that really satisfied my you know, intellectual curiosity for the cars and their history. Sure. You know what comes to mind is that great quote by Dr. Ferry Porsche where he said, uh, I couldn't find a sports car I really liked, so I invented it. Whether it was Porsche or you know, Lamborghini, uh, you know, Fruccio Lamborghini was the same way. He, didn't, you know, he, he created his own car because he was pissed off at Enzo because he wouldn't do the things that he wanted him to do on, on his cars. So yeah. um, oftentimes that's, uh, that's the seed of a lot of new, uh, of a new, lot of new products and, and new ideas. Yeah, great. That's a great story, too. I love that one as well. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many as you've been doing this, but is there one in particular you can share with us that really stands out? To some degree, I, I tend to be my own worst critic, so it, it's it. You know, I don't necessarily. You know, I'm always looking. Oh, well, we need to be doing this or doing that. It's a. It's not that I necessarily take a lot of you know pride in specific moments, but I think I I do in the fact that you know this the magazine world especially the this segment you know this niche segment of the magazine world with you know with classic cars in particular probably has the shortest life expectancy of any business on the planet i mean so few magazines make it through the first year nevertheless you know for 5 years or 6 years and i think just you know the sheer by sheer virtue of the fact that we've been around for almost 20 years now um, in the magazine world, I mean, it's like dog years. I mean, in the magazine <laughs> world, that's like a lifetime. That's like a, being 150 years old in the magazine world. So right. just the sheer fact that we've been able to survive, you know, several, you know, dot-com crash, the recession, you know, been able to continue to not only stay in business, but develop and grow the footprint of the magazine throughout those times. I mean, I think that's, from a business standpoint, one of our biggest achievements because it's just so difficult and you know, the, the environment is so hard to, to be able to stay alive just to be able to continue to produce a magazine, nevertheless one that you're proud of and has some quality to it. Yes, well, congratulations for that. It is a challenging field. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And it'll include race car because you like vintage racing if you'd like to add that in there but that first special car and share a special memory you have with that vehicle well I, the first the first classic car that that i ever owned myself was a uh was a triumph tr3 my wife likes to say that that i popped this hole she didn't realize this whole car bug was lying dormant in my system until we uh 
finally got our own apartment where we had a garage, and then once I had a garage, it was like a light switch went off. I was like, oh, my God, I have to get a car. Surprise. You know, and, yeah, and so uh, I went out and was looking for uh, something that I could work on myself, but it's funny because at the time I was so afraid of having to do engine work and or any kind of real hardcore mechanical stuff that I told myself, I just want to get, I want to get a beat-up runner. The car has to run. But if the exterior and the interior and all that need work, you know, I'll do that. But the car has to run. So, of course, I now know that that's like the worst possible situation to try to buy a classic car. And you either want to buy a completely restored one or one that's a complete wreck. You don't want to buy what I call an in-between car, which is one of those cars that, yeah, it runs, but it's, you know, it needs a lot of work because you're going to spend a ton of money and it's going to be just as much work and cost as if you did a full restoration. But not knowing any better, I went out and bought this old beat-up TR3 and brought it home. It barely got home and uh, started restoring it in my uh, garage. And uh, you know, that's really what started me on, you know, certainly the, the restoration side of the car hobby. And from there, I learned how to, you know, ended up by not having a choice, but I ended up having to be able to rebuild the engine and rebuild the transmission. And I was fortunate that my uh, grandfather, who was still alive then, who was very mechanically inclined, he lived nearby. And so he was able to kind of helped me in places where I got stuck and really, you know, guided me along. And after doing that, that just led to a litany of cars that I ended up buying, restoring, flipping, you know, showing, racing, you know, restored probably half a dozen cars or more, you know, in that in a very short period of time after that. So Very cool. Very cool. Well, and it's great that your grandfather was nearby to help you so you could share those memories. Yeah, starting with a rough car and a rough British car adds some uh, little pain to the whole thing as well. I'm sure glad you did it. Sounds like at least you've had a lot of fun. Is there a vehicle that you've sold that you really wish you could have back in the garage? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's almost any of the cars I've owned at some point in time, you know, would certainly love to have back. But in particular, I had a uh, I had a Lotus 51 Formula Ford that I uh, unearthed out of a storage unit. It was a real basket case that I complete ground up restoration. Showed the car, it won a couple of Concours awards, and then you know I raced the hell out of it for a couple of years, and really, really loved that car for any number of reasons. I mean, it was just it was such a pretty car. It was so easy to work on. It ran and ran, required very little maintenance to keep you know running and 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 race worthy. Was dynamite to race. Unfortunately, a guy came along and offered me just a stupid amount of money for the car. <laughs> uh, so. At the time, my wife and I were looking to buy a house, and uh, it was yep. hard to uh, not convince her that it wasn't a good idea to sell that. So yeah. uh, as a result, it became the down payment on our house. But yeah, I would have I would have loved to have had that car back if I, if I at all could. Yep, yep, I understand. We've all had those situations. I raced a Lotus 18 for, gosh, 10 years or so in the vintage racing circuits. and um, But the 51, cooler car, for sure. Faster car, more fun, I think. Very nice. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Currently, I'm, I've am i been saying this probably for the last four or five years, that I'm 98% done with a, uh, it's an ex-SCCA Triumph Spitfire that uh, did a lot of uh, SCCA competition in the, uh, in the 60s and 70s. Had some good finishes here in the West Coast and went to the runoffs a couple times and again it's another another one of those cars that was sitting in a storage unit for two decades and pulled it out and have done a complete ground up restoration on it and it's uh it's basically done it's uh it's finished it just needs some of the final fettling to be finished with it but uh unfortunately my uh, oldest daughter was just accepted to usc's film school so it looks like that's going to have to go the way of the uh, dota bird as well in order to uh, help fund that uh, that little side project so i don't think i'm going to get a chance to ever race that one unfortunately well never say never 
And uh, yep, I have a car I let go to uh, send kids, a couple cars to send my kids to college. So as the guy who bought my last car I sold told me, he said, you know what? You only have one chance to get your child to a school they really want to go to. You'll always have a chance for another car later on. So he left that those words of hope in my mind, and I'll as, leave those as he words. As your car away. <laughs> yeah, as he drove my car away. Yeah, maybe he was, okay, we won't even go there, but uh, you're doing the right thing. That's all I can say, and congratulations to your daughter for getting into that great film school. Fantastic. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Casey. I always love this question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? And this isn't about what you think you want to be. It's who you really are. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question, and it's a very tough question. Uh, yep. I mean, I think my knee-jerk reaction would be to try to say something something funny like a two C, like a Citroen two CV, or, <laughs> or a Hugo, or something. Um, just because I, I don't know, it's uh, I would think I'd have a hard time have a hard time ascribing any one car to myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, quite frankly, at this point, building on the idea of stubbornness and tenacity, I'd probably be a pickup truck if I'm anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I ask it. It, it kind of goes down that path. But let's just for a second explore this Citroen concept because that's kind of interesting. What is it about that very unique car that you think has some relationship to who you are? I think it's funny because it's just completely incongruous and a goofy car that, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> not so much that I would necessarily associate with me, but it's just it's one of those awkward questions when you're looking at in, introspective at yourself that I'm more inclined to uh, deflect that with humor. And so that's the most humorous car I think I could come up with on short notice. Maybe a Citroen pickup truck. How about that? You know, there you go. I'll tell there you, you the guest that introduced that, that's Harold Cleworth, who's an automotive artist. And he lives up in Venice, very eclectic, unique guy. And he's the one that gave me the idea for that question. And he combined two cars as well into his answer. I think the front end was some kind of a British car because he's from England. And the back was a Cadillac Biarritz because he came to America to create his career around painting. So that's okay. You could be a Citroen pickup. I'm not sure if, did they ever make Citroen pickups? Not sure. Yeah, I think they, yeah, I think they call it the Meta. Um, I oh, think they yeah. did have. They had a number of different versions of those, so they, they are a, they are a, a, an interesting, odd little car. Yeah, very unique, just like you are. So we'll leave it at that. So Casey, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsor. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Okay, Casey, we're back and we're entering the last lap. You like to race. You know what this means. The white flag is out and it's time to put our foot into it. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some really quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. 
What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Uh, probably to buy the best uh, the best car you can possibly afford. Yes. Kind of coming back to what we were talking about in terms of you know, restorations that. Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're buying the you know the the highest quality restored car that you can afford, you're uh, you're probably you know going to be better off in the long run. Yes, I've heard that from many guests, and I had uh, the consummate car guy Bruce Meyer on this show months ago, and he had a great saying about that. He said, "Buy the best car you can and cry only once." So <laughs> I thought that was a great answer. Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Uh, I think again, it's just you know, uh, you know, sort of you can call it stick to itness or or tenacity or just you know, I think staying remaining committed to you know, to what you believe in and what you're passionate about. Yes, absolutely, and I think it ties so nicely back into these uh, long mileage paddle paddleboard races that you do in the open ocean. Uh, it requires that tenacity, that uh, stick to itness. I always like that word. That was a great one. How about resources? Is there one automotive-related resource you think our listeners would really enjoy? Well, other than our own magazine. Uh, <laughs> of course, of course. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, it's such a – the hobby is so huge and spread over, you know, such a – I mean, it's such a global thing, and there's so many different little niche suppliers and, and resources and things. I mean, it's hard to come up with any particular one that rises above any others. It really just depends on – what area somebody's in and what their particular interests are, you know, it's just, it's just so, I mean, that's the beauty of it is that it, it is so broad and there are so many resources to be able to draw upon, but it'd be hard to come up with any, any, any single one that rises above any others. Unless you're talking about we'll leave your publication as the, as the main one. And that's certainly fine. Certainly want to promote that. Is there a book, one book in particular, another difficult question I know, especially if you're a reader, but one book you could recommend to our listeners you think they would enjoy reading? Wow, that's a tough one for me. In that uh, I have, amongst other things, I have a little book problem. <laughs> we have uh, we have over a thousand titles here uh, oh at, the, at the office of you know automotive books, automotive history. Well, maybe something that recently that you've read. My sister's constantly complaining about the fact that she has all these books she has to catalog, you know, time in and time again. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and the problem is, is that I you know I, I have such really. I have very for for someone who's very focused, I have very unfocused interests in that you know I love so many different types of cars, and as a result, I've got so many different types of books and and they're all you know they're all so interesting. It's really hard to to pick you know any given one that you know rises above any other ones. I mean, I can say just because I'm standing here staring at it right now that, you know, if you're not familiar with him, Willem Oosthoek has done a number of books on sports car racing, you know, in the south and on the eastern coast um, that are really, really interesting books, you know, that, that really delve down in, uh, deeply into a fairly obscure piece of, you know, American racing history. But there's a lot of really interesting stories and really interesting information there that, you know, is not commonly known. So. Sure. Certainly, that would be one, you know, one series that, you know, just because I can see it right here at, in the bookshelf I'm standing next to, that, uh, you know, I could certainly recommend to, certainly recommend to people. Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Casey Annis. Casey's last name is spelled A-N-N-I-S. And we do have a guest recommended book section at Cars yeah, and Casey's book will be posted up there as well with the author and links to where you can go buy that. All right, well, Casey, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could only have one collector car, and I'll include collector race cars since you love to race 
in your garage, but you can't sell it to buy a bunch of other cars with. So picking the GTO and then selling it and buying 20 race cars is out of the picture. But money's no object. I will buy a GTO if that's the car you want. What would that one vehicle be and why? This is a this is a cruelly ironic question because this is the same question I ask all the interviewees that I do for our magazine, <laughs> in the coming, Road Car. Coming right back at you. Yeah, that we end all this with. So I guess it's sort of you know karma or fair turnaround that it comes back on me. Yeah. And I realize, unfortunately, how difficult that question is. And as I was saying earlier, you know, I, I'm, I'm such a, I, I so serially fall in love with different cars that that's always a moving target. And, you know, usually when people ask me, I try to break it down. And, well, it depends. Are we talking about a race car? Are we talking about a road car? Is it a this, a pre-war, post-war? And I have favorites in all those categories. Mm-hmm. You know, I suppose at this point in time, if I really had to pick and choose just one, I think probably one of the, one of the, the custom-bodied Alfa Romeo 8Cs. Um, uh, you know, just in terms of the whole package and, and something that's just really unique and special and gorgeous to look at and, you know, quality engineering and, and the history and all that. I mean, those really um, tick, all those, tick all those boxes. Yes, the Alpha 8C. Well, luckily, I have a friend with one, so I'll give him a call, see if I can get him to part with that, and we'll get that shipped down to you in California. Beautiful, beautiful cars. You made a great choice. I love it. And I, I get why you chose that car, too. The, they're like mechanical jewels, if you will, that can be road raced, track raced, toured, whatever. So great choice. Great choice. That'll just be your choice for today. Tomorrow, I'm sure there'll be something else you'll want to park in your garage. You have taken me on a great ride today, Casey. I knew you would, and I have really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the road in that Alpha 8C? Well, I'd encourage everybody to check out VintageRaceCar.com if they would. Uh, you know, in addition to our to our print magazine now, we just launched a new website in the last three months that has a complete online version of the magazine uh, in its entirety. And not only that, but we're also loading all the back issues, uh, working our way back all the way to 1998. So nice. subscribers can not only read the current issue of the magazine, but they can go back and read literally every article from all the previous back issues uh, as we move ahead across time. So it's it's a real unique resource and and you know interesting uh, interesting way to delve deeper into just a huge wide variety of cars spanning the whole gamut of automotive history from the 1800s on up into the 1990s. Fantastic. And what is that website? It's vintageracecar.com or vintageroadcar.com. There you go. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Casey shared with us at carsyad.com on his show notes page. Just put Casey, C-A-S-E-Y, in the search bar. His page will pop up with links. And I encourage you to check out this new website, You've done a great job with it. It is great fun. You're going to lose a lot of time there, but it's all going to be time well spent. Casey, thank you for being so generous again with your time today and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. It's really been enjoyable. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Well, thank you very much. It was really really enjoyable and appreciate your time. Great fun for me too. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.